Hello and welcome to The Motherhood Guide, where it's all about making your experiences of pregnancy, birth and motherhood better. I'm your host Kelly, a mum of two, a hypnobirthing teacher and birth educator, and I'm here to help you thrive in motherhood rather than simply just survive. Let's get started. Hey, I just wanted to give you the heads up that in this episode, the audio quality on my side, for some reason, is just not fantastic. It was totally fine when I tested it before I hit record, but for some reason when I downloaded the recording, it just wasn't great. I have no idea why. But the good thing is that in this episode, I am interviewing Mandy, who is telling us all about the free birth of her fifth child. And so she actually does most of the talking anyway. But what I want to say as well is that I know that free birthing is not a decision that feels right for everybody, but even if you feel that you would never free birth yourself... I highly recommend that you still hang tight, listen to the full episode because it's likely not as scary as what you actually think. And of course, the only way for women to build better birth experiences is to become truly informed. And to become truly informed, we need to understand what all of our options are and understand why we're making all the decisions that we're making. Anyway, I really hope that you enjoy this episode. Let's go. Mandy, welcome to the Motherhood Guide. I am so happy to have you here. I feel like I've actually got like a lot to like learn from you and so much I want to ch- talk about. We were just chatting before I had a record about what we wanted to cover today and I'm really excited to get an insight into what life is like as a family of five but also a family of five, a family of seven with five kids should I say but I'm also really excited to talk about your most recent birth because it was a free birth wasn't it? Yeah yeah it was so yeah. just yeah. a little out with the mainstream but yeah yes. yeah I'm really excited before we get started is it okay if you just do a little introduction for people that don't know you yeah that's absolutely fine so I'm Mandy and I am a mum of five as you've mentioned um, and I'm also a hypnobirthing teacher and that was inspired by yourself um, oh, that's you. how that sort of came about in the first place which is which is nice um, and I'm still quite early in that that sort of uh, hypnobirthing teacher own business sort of journey so it's definitely been a huge learning curve and yeah I'm just like really passionate about all things birth related and particularly in terms of people having informed choice and making decisions for themselves and not decisions that they feel they should make. Because your business name is actually a set of birth can you chat about how that kind of came about because that's kind of linked with your passions I guess isn't it? Yeah it is and it's quite hard thinking of a business name isn't it when you first start out you're like what am I going to call this and yeah for me it's it's really important to be assertive when you're planning your, for your birth. And the f- experience I had the first time I had a baby was I just went along with the flow, like go with the flow type thing. And I never did any preparation. I wasn't assertive at all. And it wasn't horrendous, but also there were things in that that wasn't really what I wanted so sort of along the way I've learned that you really need to speak up for yourself and think about what you want and be able to communicate that to the people that are looking after you so that's kind of where the name came from. Yeah I love that because I think that is a key thing that we kind of forget and miss and I think a lot of women's problems are linked with that kind of people pleasing that we've got within us I hold my hands up I am a massive people pleaser even now it's still something that I'm working on and I think that we don't realize that that can also show up in our birth scenario where you know we can have really strong opinions on what we want however that is really difficult to then implement if you're a people pleaser there there does need to be that element of assertion and being like strong-willed and being willing to say no and be willing to kind of go against the grain even sometimes which is definitely what you have had to do with your most recent birth as well isn't it? Yeah absolutely and it's quite interesting because I think I said this to you yesterday like I'm not really a rule girl (laughs) like yeah I've always I've always been a wee bit like 
I would I don't necessarily go out and like deliberately break rules, but I would yeah. always challenge things. I was always like that even at school. Like I would always challenge what was being said, even by the teachers and things. And not necessarily in a like a disruptive way or anything like that. I mean I did get a few detentions in my time for sure. <laughs> but um yeah. but I was always like if I didn't think something was right, I would always like sort of speak out about it. But it's interesting what you say about people pleasing because I think even if you are someone that will speak up and that will challenge things, it's really different when you're in a birth scenario because you're really, really vulnerable. And yeah. no matter how outspoken or assertive that you are, someone can say something to you or suggest something in that moment and you're more likely to go along with it because well I think it it dates back to like some sort of survival mechanism doesn't it that um, you're sort of trying to please people so that you keep yourself safe sort of thing but um yeah so I find even being someone that is quite assertive and being someone that is willing to challenge things it is still really difficult in that moment and I think that's why all of that preparation work is so important because people would think, well, why do you need to prepare? You just go along and see what happens on the day and you don't want to like have something in mind because you might be disappointed with the outcome. But if you don't think about all the things that are important to you in that moment, then you might just agree to things that you don't really want. Yeah, no, exactly. And that is a massive problem. And I think it's it's just so tough because sometimes to get what you want as well there is an element where you have to be very well supported and I think I always talk about this in uh, the hypnobirthing course that I do that they are like in a position of power because you're already in a very vulnerable state you know a very vulnerable frame of mind you're feeling very vulnerable physically as well just with the nature of birth and then we treat them as they are in a position of power. And when somebody's in a position of power, it makes it really difficult to go against what they're saying. And it makes it also really difficult for you to like question anything. And that's where it becomes tricky. And we need to really make sure that we are working as a team with our healthcare provider, whether that's a midwife, a consultant, whoever. We need to make sure that we're really working as a team with them so that it's not like this like imbalance of power because at the end of the day it is it's your body it's your choice you should kind of be the driver of that with the support of a healthcare provider but often what happens is that it's like the midwife or doctor is in kind of at the top of the pyramid and in that position of power and then we feel like we just have to feed into what they're saying does that make yeah. sense no that makes yeah. sense and I think what's interesting about it as well and I think what makes it even more difficult is those people in those positions of power, they're not up there in that position of power thinking, oh, I'm here to rule over these little silly pregnant women and make them do things that ruin their birth experience. Like, it's not, like, that kind of power thing. It's, like, if you meet a midwife, like, they're probably going to be the nicest person you've ever met and, like, so kind and genuine and, like, they genuinely want what's best for you but the problem is that they are also constrained within their guidelines and what they're required to do within their job and then they're obviously so pushed for time as well so it's Mm -hmm. difficult for them to get to understand you and your individual needs and things like that so it becomes like a conveyor belt and it becomes very Mm -hmm. much like okay this is what happens next because this is just the procedure and that's the way we do things and unless women challenge that or understand um, the impact of the things that are being suggested to them then it can completely derail the process and it can really Mm -hmm. affect the outcomes and then that can have long lasting effects on people and on women you know for the rest of their life surely so it's it's so important but yeah it's we talk about this power dynamic and it is there but it's 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 subtle it's not this like there are these big mean midwives that are out to get you kind of thing yeah exactly and I think that's what's tricky as well because 
often when you talk to them, they can see the flaws within the system themselves and wish that they could do more, you know? So it's not that, it's not that they want this like imbalance of power to be happening either. You know, it's not that they're comfortable with it. It's not that they're taking like pride or satisfaction out of that imbalance of power either. Um, And like you said, they are often like literally the nicest of people because yeah. I feel like to be in a position like that, like you kind of need to, you know, have that that desire and that love for for women and supporting women. And obviously, naturally, you would have in your head that they are just doing everything in their power to support you, but they are really like tied up with those those guidelines. It's driven by making sure that they don't get sued and things like that. So it's like dotting the i's and crossing the t's, but it moves further and further away from women-centred care and what the women actually wants. And at the end of the day, even though these people have got probably a real passion for women and a real passion for birth, they are doing a job. And then you're, as the women, you're, you're giving birth to a whole human. Like, this is not just a day at the office for you. It's a major part of your life and it can really impact you know how you feel going forward in your life and other things as well so it's it's yeah. a totally different thing to use the birth in person uh, than it is to them as someone that's on a shift and doing their job isn't it yeah totally and I think sometimes that is lost sight of a little bit isn't it like you know again not to say that they're bad people but you know when they're seeing however many women in a day I think it could be easy to lose sight of the fact that that is literally the most important day of their life yeah. Whereas that is literally just a normal day for you, do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And you've seen loads of different women in loads of different situations. So sometimes that can be lost sight of, but I do think it is definitely a, a problem where women aren't getting the individualised care that they deserve for such a massive, important experience. No, I absolutely agree. And I don't know what the answer to that is because... I don't think there is an answer within the NHS no. system. It's it's all funding, isn't it? And politics and all right. of that. It's huge. It's it's such a huge thing. And actually, I, I had mentioned earlier that this is just a new thing to me, being in this sort of birth world and being involved in all of this. And, you know, I kind of thought, like, right, you'll go and do this course and you'll become a hypnobirthing teacher and this is something that you've practised yourself, so it's going to be great fun and it's something a gift that you can give to other people and it is but it also you also get your eyes opened wider and wider and wider to all of these things and all of these flaws within Mm -hmm. the system and it's really really hard sort of not to be affected by that I think and you probably feel that way too um but I think oh yeah you just have to remind yourself that you know, if you can help one person to have a positive experience and feel good about their experience, that's really where you need to come at it from rather than trying to solve the big problem of how do women get individualised care from their midwives because, you know, we can't we can't solve that problem. It's bigger bigger than us, isn't it? So, um, totally. I totally it, understand where you're coming from with that because that's something that even now, this is me, what, and my third year I think um, of teaching and that's some, still something that I struggle with as well you know feeling like sometimes you know too much if that makes sense like yeah. you know too much and trying to convey that to the people that maybe don't have that understanding because obviously we do have a great understanding of how the system's working and I think sometimes it's a little bit shocking for people like when we share the reality of the system it can be a little bit shocking because women obviously naturally want to believe that that system is set up to support them. Like that is natural that we would want that system to support us and to then realise that actually you're going to have to take a lot of the power back into your own hands and really kind of fight for what you want, that can be really difficult and shocking and it's something, it can be a hard balance to get but as hypnobirthing teachers can't it, to give people the reality without terrifying them as well do you know what I mean that balance is really difficult to kind of strike up yeah it is and you want people to understand how capable that they are and that their bodies are of giving birth to their baby because they absolutely are um 
but then it's also communicating the realities in terms of, you know, I think the last stats that were released for the trust that we're in, I think it was about 48% spontaneous vaginal birth. So that's like birth without instruments or cesarean. So people need to understand what odds they're up against, basically. Um, and I think yeah. if you don't do any preparation at all or don't understand any of it, you're likely to just get swept up amongst all of that, aren't you? And just you could become totally. one of those statistics. And it's not to say that those types of births can't be positive because they can, but often if it's not what the person wanted or if they've not felt that they were part of the decision-making process then it can really affect people in terms of birth trauma and things like that. So it's not to say you should never have a cesarean birth or you should never have an induction or any of those things, but it's understanding the different choices that you've got, basically, and making sure that you're part of that process rather than just being swept up along with it. Yeah, totally. So I feel like I'm on my high horse here a wee bit, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think it's good um, to have like another hypnobirthing teacher's perspective because, you know, sometimes you do wonder if you're on your own thinking the same things, but it's nice to hear, but then also not nice to hear that, you know, you also have that clear understanding of the system as well. And it is, it's really difficult to support people to get the absolute most out of this system that is not built to support them, really. Uh, but I think that we both do a really good job at giving women as much information as possible, like you say, to make sure that they do feel part of that decision making process, because that yeah. is really, really key in making that experience positive. And, you know, I've had clients that have had uh, instrumental births, inductions, C-sections that have all been positive. So it's like you said, absolutely. It's not a case of just because you have a medicalized birth that that's a bad thing because it's totally not. Um, but it is, it's just about really feeling like you're the person that's in control of that situation and you're the one that's actually having those open conversations and, discuss and discussions and feeling like, you know, you've made the call as, as well as the team of healthcare professionals. I think that that's what's really important. But so you have essentially chose for your fifth birth to kind of take yourself out of that system and kind of go off on not on your own because you were obviously still support you to a certain extent but I think people have no idea about free birth like so many women and even men they don't have a clear understanding of what that actually is and what it entails and a lot of people are really terrified at the idea of it yeah have I you think, found that as well yeah I think well I think people are a bit used to me by now because they're like oh She's away doing something else outrageous that nobody else does. But, uh, oh, man, people, yeah. people are generally scared of home birth anyway, mm -hmm. even with midwives. Um, so even That's when true. you talk about home birth, people think, oh, my God, like, no way. No way would I even consider that as crazy. And then, like, you and I know, and we'll talk to our clients about, actually, when you look at the statistics, home birth is a really safe option. Um, yeah. And, Actually, I was exactly the same. I felt exactly the same as that. So probably to get to where I'm at just now, it's worth just sharing a wee bit about like how I got to where I am. So Hope when I it. had my first baby, I did that whole like go with the flow thing and I never questioned anything. It was just like, this is what we do. Went to every antenatal appointment, never asked any questions, just sort of went along with everything and it was fine. You know, had really good care. Uh, I felt good about it all and uh, I never really had much of a birth plan. My friend had had a water birth and she had a really good experience and I thought I would like to have a water birth. And because of that, I chose to go to a different hospital so I chose to go to the Royal so I could use the birth centre there. So that was literally as far as my birth planning went was I'm going to go to the birth centre so that I can use the pools because at the time they never had pools at St John's. And I got there and I went far too early 
like I think I had about three contractions and I went to the hospital because it was my first baby and I was like yeah I need to be at the hospital like right now and I wasn't in established labour at all so they just put me in a little room for about four hours and obviously that wasn't really conducive to helping things progress so nothing really happened and then the next thing was right we're going to break your waters and not for one minute did I think well why are you doing that or will we just wait or will we just go home or anything like that like I I never questioned that at all Um, and it was literally because time had passed and I was there and nothing had happened and that's why they were doing it Uh, and then obviously after them breaking the waters things didn't progress again and I didn't know any of the things to do to like help it progress either you know boosting your oxytocin and like making it feel like a nice environment I was literally just like kind of walking about this room or sitting on the bed or it was a really clinical environment and and none of that even registered with me at the time at all Um, and then the next thing was right we're going to put you on the drip and again I never questioned it oh, well, if you're having the drip, you would need to have an epidural because it gets really painful. And so it was just all of these things. And I was like, oh, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. And then I I do remember when I was getting the epidural, they came and they said, right, if you're having the epidural, it does slightly increase your risk of an instrumental delivery. And at that point, I was just like agreeing to anything. I was like, okay, just whatever that's just what we do next and it was very much it wasn't really sold as a choice it was more and and it wasn't like they were forcing me either they were asking for my consent I had to sign a form but there was no real conversation about like you don't have to do this or you can do something else or you can just stop completely and you can go home if you want so we did that and then eventually led to a forceps delivery and um, I actually felt quite positive about the experience at the time and the people that looked after me were really nice and really kind and I felt there was no issues that I I just never felt that it had been a bad experience although it was a forceps delivery and it wasn't I, I would have ideally not wanted that Um, after I had a really bad recovery um, from the forceps and that's not something that everyone experiences but in my situation it just the scar didn't heal properly and I was just in a lot of pain for a long time Uh, and I wasn't really listened to by the doctor either about that pain which didn't help so it was about six months down the line and then I had to have a little procedure to to fix that and then it was fine after that. And again, I still never really looked back and thought, oh, that was a bad experience or I should never have ended up having the forceps. I just thought, this is just what happens and you just have to kind of take what you get <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then when I had my second baby, just going back to the point about people being scared about home birth, the midwife actually said to me at the first appointment, um, would you consider a home birth? And I think they were just starting to put that in as something that they asked women about. Mm-hmm. We're starting to get the research that showed that home birth was a safe option. And I honestly remember looking at her like she was insane. And I was like, yeah. no, absolutely <laughs> no way. things have changed. <laughs> okay. I'm going to the hospital. Yeah. Like, why would I do that? I thought, like, it's just like mad hippies that, have home births like that's not me and that was the end of the conversation and I just did pretty much the exact same thing as I did with my first baby I was just sort of plodded along just went to the appointments and that was it and the one thing that I did do was I read a book about hypnobirthing that my friend gave me and it was like a lot of it made sense but I never really put any into practice like I just sort of read it and I was like oh that makes loads of sense that's why I think reading a book is fine as a starting point but I don't necessarily think it's enough I just read it and was like 
these are all great ideas and then I just sort of parked it and that was it sorry hi no I was just going to say it's funny that you say that because that is also what Jenny was talking about and her episode Jenny Clark the one that I did with Melo Mama yeah. um that's what she was talking about how you know she read the book but she wasn't actually like fully taking on that information and embodying it and yeah. I think that's the trap that a lot of people fall into isn't it yeah. we are you know, they think, I've read the book, tick the box, but I'm like, no, like, there's a lot of actual work that goes into yeah, yeah. hypnobirthing as well, you know, the mindset work, the practice and the tools and the techniques and stuff like that. So it is, it's more than just taking on the information in a book, you know, there's there's still work to be done off the back of that, eh? Totally, and the mindset bit is the biggest part of it, isn't it? And it's like, totally. really kind of going into yourself and, understanding your fears and where they've come from and trying to work on that yep. so yeah I read the book and I was like that's great like that actually makes so much sense what they're saying in this book about sort of the connection between pain and fear and all of those things and I did sort of practice some of the breathing exercises so that was the extent of where that practice went and then I did have a really amazing experience at home oh that's good but it was by accident so she just came like really really quickly and I did use some of the breathing stuff but really I don't think I had a positive experience because of any preparation that I did I think it was because it was too quick for anyone else to Mm -hmm. interfere with it Um, and I think if I'd gone to the hospital it probably would have went down a similar path to what happened yeah. with my little boy. But it then kind of cemented for me the stuff that I had read in that book. I was like, oh, that makes sense actually now, like about the different things to do with intervention and like being sort of left alone. And I mean, I really never had a choice. She was coming whether she liked it or not. But the recovery, yeah. the recovery after it was so much better as well. Like it was just like, so mm-hmm. easy. like I just felt normal after I had done yeah. and so I thought to myself well I'm never having any more anyway that was it I was done it too um so like myself, <laughs> at the time um we only wanted to have two and I think probably we would, that would have been the end of it if things hadn't changed in that situation so yeah I was like I'm never having any more but if I was to ever have another one I would definitely have a home birth the next time. And then sort of four or five years passed and I had met a new partner who is now my husband and he never had any kids. So obviously kids were back on the agenda at that point. (laughs) Um, And we got pregnant and we were having the third baby and straight away I was like right I would like to have a home birth and my husband mm-hmm. was like absolutely like no way like you're mental <laughs> because this yeah. was like first baby and he never knew anything about birth at all mm-hmm. if you ask him now he would still say he would prefer that if I went to hospital to give birth <laughs> like would he? yeah yeah that's interesting like, isn't it right he just thinks it's <laughs> madness but he, he, go, he just goes along with what I say so so that's they kind fine. of have to don't they <laughs> yeah but I did a Pure proper choice at the end of the day. well it is it is and well to an extent but yeah to an extent because they need to be able to support you in the situation that you're in as well of course yeah yeah so I did a proper hypnobirthing course that time um and it was online because it was covid yeah so it was it was online but it was the full full course um, and it was like a group course with other people and stuff and there was like loads of work to do after it and all those things like we've talked about Um, it's not just turning up and listening to someone talk for a few hours or a day or whatever it was like a proper the day was like an intensive learning experience mm-hmm. and putting different things into practice but there was loads of stuff to do after it and I really really committed to it so it was like every single night I was listening to my hypnobirthing tracks and I was doing different things like journaling about my feelings and how I was feeling about the experience and all of those things um, and I had a planned home birth um, with the number three and it was a great experience 
that was supported by midwives. Uh, there wasn't a home birth team at the time, so it was community midwives, and they were they were great. It was really good. The two that came were fantastic. It was a really really quick birth again, uh, so they kind of just came, and then about half an hour later, she was here. So that was fine and everything happened fine. The placenta came out fine. The recovery was fine. So that was me. I was sort of like, right, home birth is perfect for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was really well supported. And then because we had three, we had to have four, obviously. Because (laughs) the third one needed a uh, the older two were really close in age and then it was like there was yeah. a gap and also they stayed with their dad half the time so it was like she would just be on her own and I really yeah. didn't want that, I really wanted her to have someone so yep. that's that's how number four came about and um, again I just planned a home birth with her yep. and did all the same things as I did with number three and this time there was a home birth team so I got all my midwife appointments at home, which was great. And I had a really amazing midwife who was lovely. She was specifically for home birth. And mm-hmm. um, felt like she was really good because she was she she never really like talked a lot about, you know, when it got to like past my due date and stuff. She wasn't really like trying to push the induction thing at all. She was just like well, we'll just see what happens. And I felt mm-hmm. like she was more pro-natural birth than any of the other midwives that I had experienced before. So that was good. And I was really excited about being one of the first people that was looked after by the home birth team and just having that experience. And I couldn't wait to tell everyone like about that because I like to tell people because it is a good option to have your baby at home. Yeah, um, There's so enough information about it. Well, that's right. So then when it came to the day, none of the home birth team were available. So again, it was community midwives. And I don't, that's nothing against community midwives. I think it just depends on the personalities that that Mm -hmm. end up being there. But uh, the baby was actually born before the midwife arrived. uh, Because again, it was another really quick birth. So that was perfect. That all went really, really well. And then when the midwife did come, um, it just went downhill from there and it turned into quite a negative experience. She just was like really stressed and anxious about the whole thing. And it really, it really showed and she she couldn't find something. So she like had the lights on and she had all her whole box of equipment, like all over the living room floor. And just like, she was really like flapping and, she just brought like this really stressful energy mm. into her space and uh, I hadn't delivered the placenta yet and she was really like panicking about that as well and she tried to arrange a transfer over the phone without asking me and I was just like wait a minute I'm not going and there was just loads of wee things like that like that just made it, it turned a really positive birth into a quite negative experience. Uh, So after that one, again, I was like, no more babies ever. That's me done. (laughs) But if I do, if I did have another one, I would probably (laughs) do it on my own. Um, So I feel like I'm without being like too like airy fairy spiritually, because I'm not really that person, but I'm like, is this, is the universe trying to like, call my bluff with these things it's like I think it was by the way yeah it's like well you said you would have a free birth now we're going to make we're going to call your bluff and see if you'll do it Um, and that's how how it came about and that's how I ended up sort of going down that path Mm -hmm. and the way I thought about it was every time the experience has been good there's been nobody there and then every yeah. time there's been something that's went wrong, it's more been to do with intervention rather than there being an actual problem with the baby mm-hmm. or with myself. So that was sort of how it came about that I made that decision. And again, my husband was really, he was really against that this time. He was like, no, that's too far. Like, what if something happens? That's just mm-hmm. madness. Um and we had a really good midwife. So you had mentioned earlier that I had sort of taken myself out of 
the system, but I never actually took myself completely out of the system. So yeah. I did have antenatal care um, with a midwife, and it was one of the home birth midwives. Some people choose to have nothing. Um, so I'm on a little group that's it's not a free birth group, but a lot of people on the group are choosing free birth as an option. And some of the girls on there, like, they've not even done a pregnancy test, one of them. Like, she's not even done a pregnancy test. And I'm like... I've heard is, of this, yeah. It's like called, real, like, a wild pregnancy. They call it a wild pregnancy, so you're just, yeah. like, in. But it's really interesting in that group, actually, because there is a bit of variation of different mm-hmm. sort of how involved people are with the system or not. So some people... um will have all the antenatal care like I did and then just have the birth on their own and then other mm-hmm. people have nothing they don't even have a pregnancy test but there's some people that just like opt into certain things so they might have only scans or they might have no scans and only have their blood pressure checked or their urine checked and it's been quite an eye-opener because you just think yeah. these are all the things that you just think you need to do um, you don't so, realise that you've actually got control over that. Like, women aren't taught that they have control over that situation. They think it's yeah. just in or out. Yeah. But actually, you can customise almost how that care looks for you yeah. based yeah. on what's right for you. Well, that's it. And, and, and it is, it's quite an eye-opener because you think, actually, now, when, when I look at it now, I think, well, every single appointment is optional. Every blood test is optional. Every urine sample, every scan... So if you really start getting into that mindset, you might still want to have all those things. But if you start to realise that you can say no even to those things, Mm -hmm. I think that helps to say no to other things further down the line. You know, if you want to, and it's not saying no for the sake of saying no, it's saying no to the things that don't feel right for you or that are necessary for you. Totally. Like just researching for yourself, and figure now, you know, what kind of fits in line with your beliefs and yeah, what you feel yeah. fits like your family. Because even stuff like, you know, like the glucose tolerance test, like that's optional as well. That's not something that you have to do. At the end of the day, that's your decision to make. But it's good for people to know that everything is optional. And they do, mm. you know, I was talking earlier about how it's not individualised care that you're being offered a standard, but you can actually tailor that, customise it to make that more like individualised care. And a lot of women don't realise that. No, they don't. And sometimes it can be difficult as well because, like, for example, they check your weight when you do your booking in appointment. And that was one of the things I declined because I had already had two babies in, like, a year and a half. And I knew that I was going to be, like, slightly over that BMI. I think it's 30 where they say you're, like, higher risk or whatever. So I knew. I knew I was going to be over that. So instead of having those conversations, I just said, I don't want to be weighed because I knew it was going to be, right, well, you're actually high risk now because mm-hmm. your BMI is like 31 or whatever. Um, yeah. So my midwife was brilliant with that. Like She was like, actually, eventually, as time went on, she would just say, you don't really want this, do you? When she was offering something. <laughs> but she'd be like, I need to offer you it, but... She, she wouldn't even say like I'm going to offer you this she would say right I, I know you don't really want this but here's what you're being offered next <laughs> I'd be like no thanks <laughs> but that's like such a sign of great care though because that shows that she's starting to understand who you are as a person and what fits yeah. in line with your values like yeah. that is exactly how care should be you know yeah. for them to actually feel like they start to get a perception of who you are and I think a lot of women miss out on that and in my experience as a teacher um, within NHS then that's what I've kind of found, that you do get that opportunity more so when you are with the home birth team to kind of form more of a bond with your midwife and yeah. start to kind of build almost like a relationship, which can be really, really positive for your care for your pregnancy. Yeah, I think the fact that they're coming into your home and they're, then they're engaging with your like wider family Mm-hmm. things like that like you do get to know them better and they get to know you better and it's it's yeah. just that's the way it is and I don't know I think probably they've got a wee bit more time allocated for their visits I'm not yeah. sure because I, must... I don't know that for sure either but I yeah. feel like that is kind of how it goes 
yeah. it does seem seem like that from speaking with people. Have you yeah. found that in your experiences you've had a lot of resistance from people when you've said no to stuff? I know you've obviously spoke about how positive that was with your allocated midwife, but you know, in the wider space, do you feel like you've had a lot of resistance when you've said no to stuff? When I was having my third baby, um, so with the first two, I kind of just, I never really said no to anything. I just went along with yeah. it all. Um, yeah. With the third one, I did go overdue and I had declined induction. And I actually went 11 days past my due date. So it wasn't like an extreme amount of time. No, um, yeah. But my midwife then, um, she, she was a bit sort of, I would I don't know if she was pestering me, but she she was like there was a lot of phone calls going on mm-hmm. from her, and she was she was concerned uh, about me going much further on. Uh, so she was kind of projecting that fear a bit onto me, I think. But I was just like, no, I'm not even having that conversation. But I remember she was trying to phone me, and I was in the bath, and I was actually in labour. And I was like, right, I'm just not even answering that. But yeah, I yeah. did I did feel that there was a bit of pressure there with that. Um with the next two, I think I was just really clear from the outset that like I'm not even going to consider these things. Um mm-hmm. and yeah, I don't think the midwives that looked after me, I never had any resistance from them in terms of like not accepting I don't know, like, I never had anti-D this time. I'm just negative, so I, d- I declined that because I'm definitely not having any more this time. <laughs> like, definitely not. Watch this space, Wendy. <laughs> and the universe can butt out because, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, so there, there was no resistance to that. Later on, so I had worked with my midwife, so I had spoke about my husband was quite against or very against the idea of free birth. Uh, so we got we got a really good rapport with the midwife and then we had sort of came to a compromise, John and I, that I wasn't going to phone any midwives. But if at any point he felt that he needed to phone someone, that he could do that. And the mm-hmm. midwife agreed with that and we had had loads of conversations about that. And I had written a birth plan based on if you do come, because John's phoned you, here's the things that I don't want to happen and here's the things that I do want to happen. And it was basically about, like, I don't really want you to come near me unless I ask you to um, and I don't want to have different checks or monitoring or anything like that. Basically, please sit in the kitchen and if we need you, we'll call you. And I've got massive resistance to that, and not from yeah. the middle on the ground, but when it got sort of further up to sort of managerial level, there was real resistance to that. And I guess that's probably what then solidified our plans or my plan um, not to have anyone there because basically what they were saying uh, or the the person that spoke to me was saying was we can't really not offer these things even though you've said that you don't want them. And I don't really get that because I feel like so we're going to ask you if you want something and then you're going to say no. Or you're, in fact, mm-hmm. not even ask you, you're going to specifically in writing say, I do not want this. And then when you're in a really vulnerable state further down the line, we're going to ask you again, basically to see if you've changed your mind. And I just feel like so. It's not true consent at that point, is it? I don't and that's think where it's really problematic. It's not true consent. No. I don't think it is. And actually, interestingly, when I've spoken to different people about their birth experiences, there has been things like that. And they've not necessarily felt negative about it. So it'll be, it's been maybe, well, I, di- I didn't want vaginal examinations, but I agreed to it. And then it was fine. Like, it's not a negative outcome. But you just think... Why are people being asked if they want these things when they've already said no? It just seems mm-hmm. a bit wrong to me. Yeah. So at that point, when we did meet that resistance to the birth plan, eh, that's when John was like, well, if they can't agree to your wishes, then they're not coming. Like He was just like, no, like they're not coming. Yeah. So, so it, it still wasn't necessarily what he wanted exactly, but he was 
basically I think he was like, well, there's no choice because they're not mm-hmm. going to do what you want them to do. So that was that. You felt kind of pushed into that corner, I guess, in a way, even though that was really what you wanted. But then I guess John started to see that that yeah. did seem like the only option to have that positive experience. So, yeah. Mandy, what actually then happened? How did the free birth go? Uh, so it went well. It was really different. So the last three births before that, that were all at home, had been really quick. Mm-hmm. So the one, that, so my fourth baby, for example, was like two hours from waking up with one contraction to her being born. So it was like really wow. fast, very like fast. Really quick. So they, they had all been really quick, apart from the first one that was in hospital. So I just thought, like, this is going to be really fast and that'll be it. It'll be quick. It'll be over and done with. And then it was like eight or nine hours. So it was really different. I know that that's not long in the grand scheme of things Mm -hmm. because obviously labour can go on for days. But for me, it was like, oh, what's happening here? Different experience for sure, yeah. Different, yeah. And um, my waters broke this time. So it was funny, I had... I had a really sore neck and I had went and got a massage that day and when I was on the when I was getting the massage I had felt like these wee twinges and I was like oh please then I go into labour on this woman's massage table (laughs) I drove up the road and I had texted my friend because I was going to go to her house and I said like I'm just feeling a wee bit crampy so I'm going to have a bath I'll not come down uh, but I don't think it's anything and I literally just put the phone down and my waters just like went everywhere. And oh I was like, oh, maybe it is something then. And at that stage, I started to get that feeling of like, you know, that bearing down feeling. Yeah. So I thought like this baby's literally going to be born in seconds. Like I just really yeah. thought that was it. I thought this is, it was the kind of feeling that I'd had before when I needed to like push the baby out or the baby pushed themselves out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then then it was just like oh nothing's really happening and it was like I was getting contractions and then the, they just kept coming and coming and coming and the water's just like how much water is in there oh my god it lasted for the whole day and I thought yeah how's there any more like it's that so part, wild isn't it it was insane it's like so crazy Never had that experience before. It was just ridiculous, like, how much water came out. It was weird. So I was in the bath for a couple of hours, just, like, sort of, I don't know what I was doing, up and down, up and down kind of thing. And you then, kind of lose track of what you do during the labour, don't you? Yeah. And then I got out, and then my husband had just set up, like, the wee candles and stuff that I told him, and... I had to be pictures of the kids and things like that, just in the living room. And I wanted to have the baby in the living room and I never had a pool. So it was just like the couch and just had like stuff covering it. And then it just went on for like hours and hours and hours. And it was weird because at one point I, I had asked John what time it was and he told me the time. And I, I thought, oh my God, like I knew it was longer, but. I didn't realise so much time had passed. It was really, really strange. It was like, you just didn't know the time was passing sort yeah. of thing. It'll be um, that neocortex shutting down, won't it? Getting into it. the zone. Mm-hmm. not looking at my phone for once in my life. <laughs> so <laughs> that probably was quite a good thing. Yeah, so it just kind of went on and it was just what you would expect, like just contractions. But I just thought that was like really long for me um and just throughout like I always just kept thinking to myself like do I still feel safe and do I still feel like the baby's okay like that was what I kind of did was to just check in with mm-hmm. myself because obviously there wasn't anyone else there that you could ask for yeah. reassurance or anything like that and I always knew that I could phone at any time I could phone someone if I needed to and just like get them to come. But I never felt like I needed to do that. Um, and then the pushing stage was really different as well. So with the with the other three girls, it was like the fetal ejection reflex thing, you know, where it's like your body's just doing it and you can't stop it if you try. Um, <laughs> and then this time it felt different. It felt like I needed to push, but it was like I had to do something. Like, I had to yeah. actually 
push, push, which was a different experience. Again, so it wasn't like coached push and nobody was telling me to do it. Yeah. But it, it wasn't just this, like, the baby just pops out. Nah, so yeah. Was, um, so I think probably what happened there was, I think maybe she was in a bit of a tricky position or something. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking, and that's why it's so important to, like, trust that instinct, isn't it? You know, because I feel like we talk about that fetal ejection reflex and how that can all happen, you know, completely naturally without you intervening. Yeah. But also, it's also really important to trust that instinct to push as well. And as long as that's coming from your instinct rather than a midwife standing over you, like push, 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 you know, that's totally fine. And it's fine to, to trust yeah. that instinct to push as well, because it can be these wee anomalies where babies just maybe in a funny position and needs a wee, a wee helping hand. Yeah, and I think as well, another thing is to really trust yourself in terms of what position you want to go into. Because we always talk about um, don't lie flat on your back because that's not mm-hmm. the ideal position. But so I get that and I agree with that. I don't really like sort of people having to think about what position they're in either. Like mm-hmm. I, I like to try and avoid like really giving people you should be in this position to give birth because I don't think that's right either. So what was interesting for me was I was just sort of listening to what my body was telling me to do. And at some points I did want to sit down. I was kind of sitting down and then I was back up. And then for some reason I kept sort of like doing this like lunge thing to the right, like just completely naturally. And then later on, like a couple of weeks later, I was watching this thing and it was talking about, I think it was like a biomechanics thing. And it was talking about this like lunge to like help the position of the baby. And I thought, well, my body obviously knew that that was what it needed to do to get the baby in the right position. So it just shows you really that you don't really need someone there telling you what to do. You just need to be able to go into yourself yourself. and trust yourself. So... Mm -hmm. um, and then she just came and that was fine. And our cord, the cord was wrapped around her neck a couple of times. My husband really, like, he panicked at that stage. He was, like, really, like, he caught her. And he was like, oh, the cord's wrapped around her neck. And But I knew that was okay. And I just yeah, took it off. That's a common panic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah oh. absolutely fine. And But that was the only time, although he was against that, that was the only time where he was not calm. He was calm, like, oh. throughout the whole thing. He maybe never felt it inside, but he certainly never put yeah. stress or anxiety into, into the room or anything like that. So that was it. And I got to come after. So after the placenta was delivered, I called them and they came and they cut the cord and they took the placenta away because um, I didn't want to keep it or anything like that. And they registered the baby and stuff like that. So uh, that again, that was what I chose. I didn't have to do that. I could have uh, registered her myself mm-hmm. um, if I wanted to. But they were actually fab when they came. They were really, really lovely and very respectful and things like that. So that was nice to have that nice experience, even with them. Um, Amazing. What happened the last oh. time. So, yeah. Totally. So well done, both of you. Honestly, I think it's just so amazing to hear your birth story especially when it's something that's out of the the norm because so many people like they don't I know that obviously there's access to uh, free birth stories but so many people would naturally seek that out so I was really interested to hear your story and to actually showcase that on the podcast because it lets people see that it is not only an option but it can actually be a really good option for a lot of people as well you know you don't have to completely write that off and I'm not saying that that's going to be the right thing for the majority of the population but you know there might be some women out there that perhaps wouldn't have considered that before and now will because they've heard that story and they've got better understanding of it and I did want to talk as well Mandy about five kids how do you do that I've basically sort of lost my mind I think at this point to be quite honest (laughs) with you um it's been difficult actually so four was fine uh I felt like four was okay. And then yeah. five's been, it's been hard, but we've had major feeding issues, which really has not helped. Right. So I think just having that stress has really sort of made it difficult. But we're mm-hmm. getting there. And it's. I think it's just learning like different wee 
tricks along the way of totally. how to, to manage because it's more it's more the practical stuff that's hard with fire. Right. Um, I think it's just like actually going out places. Yeah, um, especially if you're on your own, right? Yeah, it's difficult. So, like, I was getting a bit stressed because my three-year-old is pretty wild anyway, and we've got a double buggy for the two babies, and then she's got the buggy board, but she was, like, running away and jumping on and off mm. it and things like that. And then the other day, I just had this genius thing. Oh, if I put reins on her and, like, loop it through the pram, then she's attached to the pram, so, like, she's safe. Yeah. All these wee things. Uh, so, yeah. I, it's it's challenging, I think, coming five, but I, I think it's going to get easier. And I think if we can get totally. these issues resolved, that'll really help because that just is... That's just a nightmare, and I'm yeah. That's hellish. No matter how many kids you have, absolutely, that's hellish. It is. I'm having it like eight times a day, and it's just like, oh my god, it's just so time consuming and stuff. So, I think the biggest thing as well is with a lot of kids is just giving them your time can be tricky. Uh, that can be quite hard, and especially the older two. I think there's like a tendency to think, well, they can just entertain themselves they can just go in their room and like go on their ipad or whatever so mm-hmm. i'm just trying to make sure that i've got time for them and yeah i got them a wee journal thing for their christmas and it's just like that's something i can do when i'm feeding the baby or expressing as well i can sit and like have one-to-one time with them yeah. sit and like talk about things and so yeah it's just I don't know. I, I, I'm just surviving at the moment, I think, but we're getting there. Totally. We're getting there. <laughs> so do you feel like you're more of a just kind of wing it mum rather than having a lot of structure and routines and stuff like that? Do you think with five, is it just easier to just kind of take each day as it comes, just wing it? Um, I think I'm a, just a big mishmash of everything. To a mishmash. Yeah. <laughs> Love yeah. that. I don't really mm-hmm. have a style. I'm just like, uh, I, I'm quite laid back. And we don't really have, we don't have a massive structure. So we're not like nap times this time, bedtimes this time. We just, we're just not those kind of people. It's like whatever mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but there is certain things that are helpful, like th- like looking out the clothes the night before. Mm-hmm. Helpful things like that. Like that really helps to make things easier in the mornings. But yeah, I'm just a big mishmash of. Uh, I'm a hot mess. I think that's what people say, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, to be honest, we're all hot messes. It doesn't even matter how many kids we've got. We're all no. just trying our best. I've we? got a lot of support as well, and I think that really, like, I don't really take that for granted because I think mm-hmm. I literally could not survive if I never had the support that I've got. Like, my husband is really, really hands-on, um, mm-hmm. and he is, like, if if he's there the three-year-old is like his responsibility like she goes to him for everything and that really like that really takes the pressure off a lot I think that he's able to play that role sharing that load yeah hands on my my other my older two kids their dad and stepmom are also like amazing so they that's lovely they've got a really good relationship with them and they live with them half the time but also like if ever there's been a time like when the baby was just born, they would help me out. They had a baby yeah. last year and I helped them out and stuff. So like see just having that as well, like that sort of good like co parenting relationship mm-hmm. that makes our life so much easier because I've seen it with some of my friends that maybe don't have as positive an experience and that just makes it that just makes life harder, doesn't it? So Yeah, totally. We've got you need that. a good support system. Yeah, and my mum and my sister yeah. um, live near us and they're like here all the time. So <laughs> um I love yeah. that. So I yeah. think you say that village thing that you need a village, don't you? And I I'll so always true. Say, if you've not got it, like go and find it because <laughs> you just need I that. Create your own village. You do. Uh, you need your own village, don't you? you do. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much. I have really loved thank hearing you. your perspective on everything, loved hearing your birth story, because that was actually the first that I've heard all the ins and outs, even though we spoke about stuff in between when you were still pregnant. And 
afterwards that's the first time kind of getting that full rundown so thank you so much for sharing that with us and I know that the people listening will hopefully now understand that that's not as scary dangerous and as intimidating a situation as maybe what they first thought so thank you and thank you for sharing your insight into five kids as well I just honestly salute there's you no, there's no wisdom there it's just winging it to be honest <laughs> that is wisdom in itself I think we all feel comforted knowing that everybody else is just winging it just like us just yeah. taking each day as it comes so thank you so much Mandy thank I really really appreciate it okay so see you thank soon. you bye-bye Bye. So I really hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and that you've been able to take something away from it, whether that's feeling less alone or more in the know. If you have enjoyed today's episode, the usual stuff applies. A review or a share with a friend is a really great way for me to build my community so that I can help more women. All the good stuff is in the show notes, guys, including details on how to work with me, or you can check out my website at www.breathingtobirth.com. I'll see you next week.